Okay. Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we hear from Desiree Scott, Winnipegger, Olympian, getting ready for the women's soccer event in Tokyo, which gets started July 21st. We're also going to talk to Aaron Solomon. He's a legal analyst about the NCAA's name, image, and likeness rules. What's changing? Can athletes finally make money south of the border? That's all coming up on the podcast. The Olympics, they're soon. They open July 23rd. It's all coming up fast. And Winnipeg's Desiree Scott will be part of the women's soccer team aiming to medal for the third consecutive Olympic Games, bronze medals in 2012 and 2016. I will never forget that 2012 semifinal when they kind of got jobbed against the United States, but I digress. She spoke to the media on a Zoom call today before she goes off. She'll uh, turn 34 when she's over there in Tokyo, July 31st, her birthday. And she talked about the Olympics providing an emotional boost for the country. The Olympic Games are something truly so special and something that really unites the entire world. Um, And for us to be going there this summer in, in less than three weeks' time, I think it's just such an incredible opportunity for us to inspire a nation, especially after such a difficult year for all Canadians, the entire world. Um, just to go out there and show our bravery, our resilience, and hopefully give people in Canada something to to get up for, to get excited about, and show them that sort of renewed passion and be a light and an inspiration for people who watch our team. You know, we've we've had to bounce back through tough years and to show that resilience and our strength and our bravery to to go out and perform after a difficult year. Hopefully, people can can find some some joy in what we're doing on the field and really really inspire people to to be hope for a better year. Now, I mentioned that they've got two bronze medals. They'd like to change the color of the medal this year. You know, we've gotten on the podium back to back, and we want to do that again this summer, but obviously be at the top of that podium. And we have a wealth of experience within the group. Um, We have a Christine Sinclair. This will be her fourth Olympics. It's my third. You know, some of those veteran players who have really been to a few games. Then we've got a few of our, our young vets who have had Olympics beforehand and then some who are completely new so we've got a blend um in the group but i think just a fantastic balance of people who are coming to bring that fire and and have that first olympic experience but those who have been there before who know what it takes to to grow through a tournament and and the challenges it will take um so for us it's just about being brave believing in ourselves 100 percent and i think we're all just so hungry to get out there and and have a major tournament something to look forward to to challenge ourselves and prove after a hard year that we can bounce back and, and do the job we've set out to do. So what will it take to win gold? It's going to be a challenge, 100%. I think for us, it's showing up every single day leading into this preparation, going into our first match of the games. And we, we are going to need the best from everyone on the pitch, on the bench, um, everyone involved to be at their absolute best and really flying on all cylinders. But I think it's it's that belief and that commitment to really close off a game and finish our opportunities, I think that's going to be our X factor. We've seen that we can create, and now it's just about capitalizing on, on those big moments in game to really solidify the match for us. And looking back on the run that they've had getting bronzes in back-to-back Olympics, Scott says a lot has changed since their run began in 2012 in London. The landscape has completely changed. You know, 2012 we had you know, one team, one roster, one sort of way of playing. And our team has just adapted our style of play, 
our our technicians on the ball and just our confidence going forward in our attack. And I think you can see that as it grows, we're not just a defensive team. We are a team that can attack and be a threat going forward. Um, obviously, the makeup of the team, you have that core group, but it's starting to dwindle. You're seeing those new faces, um, those hungry players who are coming into their first Olympic Games and the future, really, of what Canada soccer will be. And um, it's exciting. Our blend continues to evolve and adapt. And I think with East Olympic Games, we're finding a unique blend that's really true to who we need to be to, to be successful on that podium. So Canada is in a group with Japan, Great Britain, and Chile. They're in Group E. There are three groups, Group E, F, and G. And if you're wondering, huh? Well, they're using Group A, B, C, and D for the men and don't want to confuse people. So they're just using different letters. They're playing Japan on the 21st of July. So that's before the opening ceremonies. But it's really one of the first Olympic events. And Scott was asked about playing the home country. I think especially after postponement, to be able to open up the games is just going to be uh, an incredible moment to remember, um, especially playing the host nation. What a what a game to get up for. Start of the Olympic Games against the host. And I think that's just an incredible moment that we'll, we'll cherish and remember. And I think um, one that we can get really excited for. It's an opportunity to start the tournament off strong um, and really showcase who we are as a team and how we want to play throughout the tournament. And obviously, playing against the host nation, it's it's exciting. It's a our pool is not easy. Um, the Japanese are a very technical, talented team, and we're going to have to be at our best. Um, so yeah, it's definitely exciting and and just a great opportunity for us um, moving through that tournament. As far as the FIFA World Rankings are concerned, Canada is eighth in the world. Japan right behind them in tenth, and then the other two teams are further down the list. Chile is thirty seventh. Great Britain, I am still scrolling. I'm still scrolling. Did I miss them? There's no way I missed them. I'm on page two now. <laughs> anyway, we're all, as I try to find where Great Britain is, oh, you know what? It's because there is no, all right, right, right. There is no Great Britain in FIFA rankings. England is sixth in the world, but Great Britain encompasses all of it. So that's actually, that is pretty hard. I'm learning things as we go. Anyway, how is the team approaching this tournament? I think this is a game showing our bounce-back ability, our resilience as individuals and as a team, and as a nation, really. We've had a very hard year being apart from one another, having to do our own thing, um, training in our individual environments, having to, to battle You know, the lack of motivation and the days where you maybe didn't want to do your workouts to then now having the Olympic Games so soon. I think for us, it's showing that we can beat adversity, we can be resilient, and we can perform on that international stage. And for us, it is about getting on the top of that podium. And the next 39 days, we've talked about it in a team meeting. It's making every day count leading into this Games, through it, um, and just enjoying every moment, the highs, the lows of it all. And and we think if we focus on that and, and really just believe in ourselves 100% and make every day count, that we'll, we'll be successful at this Games. By the way, the other parts of Great Britain, Wales, they're 34th in the FIFA World Rankings, Scotland 23rd, Northern Ireland 48th. So a lot of English players, but a combination of. Anyway, back to Desiree Scott and the extra challenges that she had to get ready for Tokyo. For those who know my story, I kind of missed out on Challenge Cup time when the NWSL, I had some family commitments that 
needed me to be home. Um, and so I was training out of my basement uh, for eight months leading into the She Believes Cup in 2021. And I had to get creative. I invested in fitness equipment, a treadmill, the weights, a punching bag, all of those sort of things to try and make my environment the best it could be. Um, I had fantastic support from the Canadian national team to provide me a program with the equipment that I had. And they really just adapted things to what I had in a five by five sort of space and the equipment I had necessary. Um, so it was challenging for sure at times. What about playing in a COVID environment in front of half full or even less full than that venues? You know, our mental trainer has provided us with some information to try and visualize, you know, what you had expected a games to be, what we have experienced in the past and the realities of this Olympics and what it's actually going to be like. And, potentially not having fans cheering you on that roar that you hear within the crowd and that energy you really feel within a stadium. Um, so it's definitely going to be different. And I think we've started to switch our mindset to that already um, to prepare. So we're not like surprised. Um, and I think, yeah, it's just finding our own motivation. I, I personally thrive off a big crowd and stadium in those moments. So I think we're going to have to look to one another to really raise our standard and, and fuel our fire to perform at the highest level in those moments for sure. Now, Canada defensively comes in playing pretty well. They have not allowed a goal in four straight contests. They're all friendlies. The last loss coming in the She Believes Cup to Brazil 2-0 in February. The 3-0 win over Wales. 2-0 win over England in April in friendlies. And then a pair of 0-0 draws against the Czech Republic and Brazil earlier this month. She talked about their recent string of clean sheets and that they've been a concentrated team effort. First and foremost, we pride ourselves on being that defensive rock and being very hard to beat. Um, our back line, our midfield really thrive on, on being that defensive, you know, sort of with, to withhold any, you know, opposition coming at us. And I think within the midfield, we, we pride ourselves on being, you know, the glue between our forward and our attack and really having to, to do the work going forward, but also defensively. And I think it's just the confidence continues to build. We're building those partnerships. We're allowing people to really truly be themselves and both offensively and defensively. And you're just starting to see things click in the right time, especially coming into this year, being hungry and, and knowing we have to, to bring our best each game. But what about offensively? Do they have enough goal-scoring support for Christine Sinclair? A hundred percent. I can say, you know, with full confidence since Rio, we've really honed in on our attack and focused on being a attacking threat as a nation. Again, not just that defensive presence that we're, we've been known for. Um, and I think Christine Sinclair, the GOAT, one of the best in the game, she now has a fantastic supportive crew around her to help, you know, create more opportunities. We've got Nichelle Prince, we've got Deanne Rose um, providing just that, that fierce speed and attack and confidence on the ball, taking players on. You've got a new first-time Olympian in Evelyn who has scored some big-time goals for us this past 20 21 campaign over the against top nations as well so we're really seeing people coming through being confident and and providing that threat not just sinky alone but a lot a lot coming through through our midfield and with our attacking players as well so we're, i'm looking forward to that again first game is the 21st it is three weeks from today the ncaa today has voted to allow student-athletes in all 50 states to monetize their names, images, and likenesses starting tomorrow. A number of states have passed laws to allow this effective tomorrow, and the NCAA finally hurried up and approved a, a countrywide policy, short, sort of. The rules didn't change so much as the NCAA just decided to waive them. 
Here to explain what this is all about is Aaron Solomon. He's the head of strategy at Esquire Digital, a legal analyst based out of Montreal. Before we get to the news of the day, I have to ask Aaron, what's it like in Montreal right now with the Habs in the Cup final? So it's been pretty nuts. I just returned to my hometown last year after not having lived in Montreal for about 30 years. And even when I was a kid in the old Montreal Forum, I don't remember seeing as many Habs jerseys and Habs flags on cars as I have the last couple weeks. I mean, it started really with, you know, sadly for you guys, the Winnipeg series. And it went on from there. And it's just been, you know, building in the city. Um, I think we're in for a really tough final, but the mood in the city is pretty high. And I imagine a big part of that, too, is just coming out of the pandemic, right? Everyone's looking for something to cheer for. Yeah, I mean, people are able to get outside now. Montreal's been really good about kind of getting our numbers down. I think people here have been really pretty responsible. So I think that they've been taking full advantage during the Stanley Cup playoffs of, uh, of celebrating a team, which is a huge surprise. Come on, with like a couple interim coaches, uh, not a stellar regular season. Uh, they're really kind of, you know, firing on all cylinders right now. So we'll see what the next week and a half brings us. Turning our attention south of the border, anyone that's followed NCAA sports has heard name, image, and likeness thrown around a lot. We're getting to a point uh, tomorrow where certain rules are going to take effect. Explain to our listeners, first of all, what does name, image, and likeness mean, and what does that mean for students as they look to maybe make a little money? So I'll tell you this from my perspective as as somebody with a law degree. When we're talking about name, image, and likeness as regards NCAA athletes, we're simply saying their ability to monetize their name, their image, or their likeness. So that's going to mean in concrete terms, you know, somebody, for example, who goes to play hockey at University of North Dakota, amazing hockey school. And, you know, Grand Forks is just like crazy about UND hockey. So some student who goes there may have an opportunity to monetize their name and image, let's say working with a car dealership, saying, hey, I'm this great hockey player. You should come buy your Ford here. That's what it's going to mean. And this is brand new territory for both student athletes and for the NCAA. The news this afternoon, uh, it's like, I don't know, like 12 hours before the due date and you got to finish an assignment right before it's due. The NCAA decides, okay, we are changing our policy revolving around name, image and likeness. What is actually changing starting tomorrow? So the NCAA came down with a dictate today. And the initial reporting that I'm seeing on it actually has it backwards. Um, I'm going to read you exactly what the NCAA said because it's super, super short. So the NCAA today said that individuals can engage in NIL, name, image, and likeness activities, that are consistent with the law of the state where the school is located. And the colleges and universities are responsible for determining whether those activities are consistent with state law. The initial reporting on what the NCAA did today was basically backwards, saying that the NCAA decision supersedes anything in the states. And it's not true. So really simply put, what the NCAA did today was say, we want nothing to do with this anymore. Y'all can go ahead and make money off your name, image, and likeness as long as it's legal in your state. So if we think about things like Louisiana State the last couple of days has been grappling with the issue when the governor came down on Monday and said, you know, you're not going to be able to use your name, likeness, and image to sell beer. Well, if it's legal in Louisiana for somebody 21 years old to sell beer, 
then the athlete can use their name, likeness, and image to sell beer, no matter what the governor wants. It's going to be super, super complicated, but the NCAA really just took themselves out of the game today. And another note from their statement, they're calling it an interim policy, which means this is a short-term fix because they want to have a federal law, do they not? The federal law is not going to happen, in my opinion, because there have been nine federal laws that have either tried and failed or are dying in some legislature. If there was going to be a federal law, like Cory Booker, who ran for president and was a Stanford football player, he tried one about a year ago, and it hasn't really gone anywhere. I think what the NCAA wants to do personally is to see that this is going to be a big mess, maybe throw in a little bit of I told you so, but they've just saved themselves tons of work and obligation by taking themselves totally out of the policy. So if you want to look at somewhere like, you know, we talked about the hockey example earlier, North Dakota, what a North Dakota hockey player can do as of tomorrow is whatever the state says anybody can do regarding their name image and likeness and if there's age requirements on it because some of the players are under 21 that's fine but as of tomorrow the ncaa has no more say as to what a und hockey player can do and that's pretty groundbreaking so it's not a nothing announcement from the ncaa but it's still i guess on the states that haven't passed any kind of legislation to get this going exactly Right. And if you've got a state that, you know, has passed legislation and it hasn't come into effect yet, then, as I was saying before, it's really going to be something that's up to the college and up to the student as to what they deem being okay. Now that there's no longer NCAA supervision and guidelines that both the college and the student have to worry about being penalized for violating. When it comes to recruiting, the states that are going to have name, image, and likeness rules in place, will schools in those states have a recruiting advantage because they can say, hey, look what we have here. The other states don't have that. 100% right. That's really perceptive that you pick that up. But here's something else, not just with not just the state, but within the state. So I gave this example. I was on ESPN Radio Syracuse yesterday, and I said, imagine you've got this basketball player from New York City. And he's thinking, I'm thinking maybe Iona or Fordham, pretty close to the city. What are going to be the opportunities for him to monetize his name, likeness, and image at Fordham? Zero. Go up to a basketball-crazy town like Syracuse if you're a star. You're going to make money even off that one year that you're there. So it's going to be competitive and comparative advantages between the states, but also regions between the states as well. It seems you're suggesting, though, that the smaller schools are going to miss out on potential talent because they're all going to go to the big schools. I'm not necessarily saying that. I'll tell you why. Because if you you can't, you know, how many players at a big school, how many football players at Alabama are going to be able to monetize their name, image, and likeness? Maybe one of those players should be the star at another school in another town where they're going to be the only name, image, and likeness one. Everybody's going to want to go after them for a contract. So the players are going to have to be more strategic, which brings me to an interesting point. Remember I said all of these big universities have hired NIL consultants over the past year? Players have started to hire those same consultants this week. How many states have passed a law? It's 30 states that have passed something but not all of those were scheduled to go into effect tomorrow anyway like new jersey had one that's coming into effect five years after passing so in 2025 and then there are others where honestly you know tonight 
um, they could end up going through the legislature. Some are going to go through just before or just after midnight. So there's some where we're just waiting for a governor's signature or for some, you know, literal gavel to bang somewhere. I look at this NCAA statement from Mark Emmert, who is someone I, I don't really respect, but anyway, then quote, the current environment, both legal and legislative, prevents us from providing a more permanent solution and the level of detail student athletes deserve. Close quote. Your reaction to that? That's a real joke because they could have done this forever. What they're trying to say now is they understand that this court is really pretty antsy when it comes to this issue and when it comes to the NCAA. So the last thing they want to do is give more grist for the judicial mill of district courts, U.S. courts of appeals and the Supreme Court to overturn what the NCAA wants to do by sidestepping it and kind of getting out for the picture for now. It'll be left to the challenges that I've said are absolutely going to exist anyway. Like I was reading a few minutes ago that one college athlete has just announced that he's coming out with a line of clothing. You know, we're, there's, there's going to be a really fine line between name, image, and likeness and other types of endorsements where the colleges are going to be saying, no, you can't do that. And the students are going to say, yes, I can. And they're going to end up in court super fast. This is going to be messy, isn't it? Huge mess. And it's a huge mess, and it's entirely the NCAA's fault. And this has been ripe for change for ages, but, you know, the NCAA didn't want to do it. Um, it makes no sense, like we've talked about before, it makes no sense in a sport like college basketball, where the best players are all one and done now, not just the occasional player. They're all gone after a year, if they even go to college, not to let that student make some money off their name, image, and likeness. So the NCAA sat on their hands for years, and now they're in a mess. Will there come a day that the NCAA as it's known right now, ceases to exist and something else comes in to replace it? So my, my answer is fingers crossed, right? So I actually think that the organizations in most major college sports that do a good job are the conferences. I really think that the conferences, you know, Big 12, whatever, are really out there to try to protect the athletes as well as the schools. I actually think that there doesn't need to be the central body like the NCAA, that it could be more regionally organized, but that there should definitely be representatives out there looking for the players' interests, the parents' interests, the coaches' interests, and the college's interests as well. I just think that the strength of the NCAA that we've seen historically is, is really beginning to wane and the supreme court is helping that well aaron appreciate your insight on this thanks for this and good luck to your habs thanks christian thanks for having me well thank you very much for listening to the cjob sports show podcast if you like what you heard guess what you can hear more every weeknight on cjob from 6 30 to 9 p.m of course that is when the jets are not playing because if the jets are playing then i don't have a show but i'll be part of the pre and post game coverage anyway thanks again for tuning in subscribe if you'd like we're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you all.